Some think the word applies to cows, mackerels, flapjacks, and a variety of other things. On the spine of your Bible, the word precedes Bible. The word is holy. Friends, mackerel, cows, flapjacks, or any other sort of noun does not befit the use of that adjective, holy. Instead, this morning, I want you to think about with me our holy God. And as you can see, the whole in our holiness. What do we mean by holiness? What do we mean by holy? Well, that's a lesson in and of itself. I don't have time really to explore that in detail with you. But it's kind of like the old adage. If you look a word up in the dictionary and find a picture, well, if you could, as it were, open your dictionary and find the word holy, and if there were a picture, if we could describe God in picture form or even in word form, you would find him listed there. We serve a holy God. Hannah prayed so very beautifully in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And the opening words of that beautiful prayer was simply, There is no God holy like you. We are talking about God as being the one who is set apart, who is righteous, who is pure from start to finish, from beginning to end, and even saying that. We have to use human language, and it is true that that has its limitations, but our God has no limitations. We serve a God who is infinite, a God who, according to Psalm 103, is from everlasting to everlasting, before the world was ever spoken into existence, and for the eternity that shall follow its destruction, our God is holy. This morning, I want you to think about holiness very seriously with me, because I believe it is, in many cases, a neglected topic. As we think about holiness, I want you to realize that, first of all, there is no doubt that God wants us to be holy. And there are several verses of Scripture that will identify that truth for us. If you look first with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, in this discussion to the Corinthian Christians, gives them uh, this admonition. And it would be of benefit to read the entire section, even going on into chapter 6 and 7. But in verse 14, he said, The love of Christ controls us. It compels us. The Greek word means it surrounds us. God's love does. Because it does, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, Christ did, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When we're talking about holiness, we're talking about being like God. We're talking about as human beings, we have to understand that we must be selfless instead of selfish. Those words sound very similar, but they are miles, worlds apart in understanding God desires that we live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us, our Savior. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God, yes, the grace of God. It appeared, well, in what form? In the form of the Savior and his sacrifice for us. And that grace of God that has appeared, appearing to all men, bringing salvation for all people, teaches us, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly lust, so that we should live, and listen to this, soberly or self-controlled, righteously upright, godly lives in this present world, in this present age, at the moment, here in this life, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? 
so that he might redeem us from all iniquity, from all lawlessness, and purify for himself a people for his own possession. King James Version says a peculiar people, and that's related to holiness. We are God's special people, a peculiar people, zealous to do good works. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are special people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are bypassing all of the Old Testament evidence, but you are well acquainted, I think at least the majority of us are, that God had a people starting with Abraham and coming forward through the ages that would eventually be identified as the children of Israel. And he would settle them there in the land that was promised to Abraham. And they were his special people to bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the world. And today there is, as you watch the evening news, sometimes a preoccupation with the nation of Israel still today. God fulfilled all of those promises, and while I cannot delve into it in great detail, those people no longer have a relationship to God such as many suppose. But God still has a people. But those people are not related uh, by blood, necessarily. Those people are not confined within a geographical set of boundaries. But they are all of God's people who obey the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you and I, those of us who are Christians this morning, are a part of that holy nation, of that royal priesthood. God wants us thus to act in a way that is holy. Thinking about that further, uh, as we turn and look, I can get my clicker here. There we go. To Ephesians chapter number 1. Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus and desires that they understand that this was something that from the outset, even before time dawned, that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because He, God, chose us in Him. That's Christ. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the grace, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is not suggesting that God made an arbitrary choice. It is not suggesting that God favored some above others, but it is saying and teaching very plainly that God had a plan whereby men and women, boys and girls, those who will be obedient to that plan will be placed in a favored position within Him, within His family, within the body of His Son, the church. And we do that so that we might be holy and blameless before Him. And then look in chapter 5. In chapter 5, the same book of Ephesians, the marriage relationship is used as an analogy. And it is imperfect, and Paul admits as much when he gets over uh, to the conclusion of the chapter. But he tells us, as husbands, we ought to love our wives. How much? Just like Christ loved the church, all of us need to do that better. Why? So that he could sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, a reference uh, to baptism. Verse 27, notice carefully. So that he, so that Christ, might present the church to himself and to God the Father by extension in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Friend, if you're desiring to live for the Lord, if you're a Christian, you have to take holiness so very, very seriously. Today we live in an age where, as Christians, we are, sadly, we're admonished, well, don't stand out. 
Don't be too different. You don't want to be perceived as a weirdo. Just blend in, if you will. I've got a lesson that's somewhat companion to this one about camouflage Christianity. Those of you guys, and maybe gals as well, not excluding you, but those of you that enjoy hunting, I'm not very good at it, but I understand one of the fundamental aspects of hunting is you have to keep the animal from seeing you. You have to blend in with the environment, and so you have to wear your camouflage that makes you uh, almost, as it were, invisible to the animal that you're hunting. Too many Christians are going through life trying, as it were, to blend in with the world so that we don't stand out, so that we are just as they are. Oh, we're, we're different, preacher. We come to church Sunday morning, maybe even on Sunday night, and maybe even occasionally on Wednesday night. But friend, holiness is so much more than that. Holiness tells us here that we must be without spot or blemish or wrinkle. My mother-in-law, some of you know her, uh, a few of you are related to her. She's the former Linda Flat. But now, when I show up for work, one of the first things she does is inspect my shirt because she knows if I've been out and about somewhat and uh, we have some obligation at the funeral home, sometimes it gets a little messy. I'll just leave it at that. She said, what's your shirt look like? She has to make sure. Is it ironed properly? All the creases in line? Are there any spots or wrinkles? I always try to eat, and when I make a mess, I just make it right down my buttons. That way my tie covers it up. See? Can't see it that way. Why? Well, she wants to present a good image, a public image uh, that's proper. We're without spot. We're without wrinkle. It's the idea of purity. Well, that applies to a dress shirt, sure. But we're talking about here, we're applying it to our lives. As we live before our holy God, God expects you and me to be holy. We have to be very well, very much concerned with that. I'm afraid, uh, I'm, and I, I don't know if I should use the word afraid or not, but I'm concerned. And so I'll use that word, that many of us are at ease in Zion. Amos chapter 6 verse 1, that was the reprimand of those people that were facing destruction, and they as God's people in that day were at ease in Zion. They kicked back and said, hey, you know, we're in good shape, we're all right. In Jerusalem, the economy was still booming. Uh, there was still a military presence that they thought was sufficient to ward off the enemies. It's okay. Now you extend that by parallel to this land today, to Christianity today, to religion in America in general. And as it applies more narrowly even to us in this place, uh, to us as God's people, are we at ease in Zion? Are we, as one old preacher said, sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises? Are we content just to say, well, uh, let's just kind of live and let live, as it were. Uh, let's don't be too extreme uh, in our Christianity. Uh, that's just, uh, that's maybe too far out. It's too far to go. Let's just kind of let things go along as they've always went. You don't have to have me tell you that that sort of thinking and that sort of approach is leading us or has at least contributed uh, to our nation as a whole, its moral decline. And while we're not interested necessarily in the civics or politics, uh, politics or sociology of our cultural makeup, it's nevertheless the case that the church, God's people as holy people, are to be lights and leaven, influencing agents to ward off the darkness and the evil. And if all of us are honest, we can conclude we should and could and can and must do that better than what we've done, at least in the recent past. 
Why is holiness, maybe today, not something that many of God's people are concerned with? Why is that uh, the case? Well, I have a few suggestions for you. I think, number one, as we think about holiness, we are thinking about, let me go to that. We are sometimes confused, or maybe we are guilty of equating holiness with just the avoidance of what we call the taboo. You know, there are some things that are just really, really bad, and as long as I avoid those things that are really, really bad, it doesn't matter what I do from that point. And some of you, uh, if you go back, and you can go back in your mind to 50 years ago, and some of you even a little bit farther back than that. But if we can imagine going back, we'll just say 100 years ago, because even though we weren't there, we've heard from grandparents and others what things were like back in the good old days, right? Well, back in the good old days, what was a definition of holiness? Holiness was working every morning. I spoke with a gentleman not long ago. He said, I followed a mule from about 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. I went in. Mama had supper ready. We ate supper. And after we ate supper, we pulled out the old coal oil lamp. And Daddy read a few chapters from the Bible. And then we went to bed. Guess what? That was Monday through Friday, wasn't it? Monday through Friday. Saturday, we'd get up, we'd do the chores, and if we had been especially good through the week, we might get to go to town. And we'd go to town, and we'd come back early, and we'd get everything ready for Sunday morning. We'd go to bed early, we'd get our bath, and then Sunday morning, we'd go to church, we'd go to visit, or folks would come over and visit with us, family members and whatever, and then it repeated itself week after week after week, year after year after year, and that was life. And so if I avoided in that simple life, if I didn't bootleg whiskey or go out and get drunk, if I didn't uh, smoke and play cards and chase women, I was a holy man, right? You didn't have to worry about television and internet viewing. You didn't have to worry about uh, being in other sorts of uh, compromising situations. Life back then didn't even present you with that opportunity. Today, things are radically different. You know that. And today, we sometimes, though, absolve ourselves by saying, well, I'm not into drugs. I don't do that. That's a bad taboo practice. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to engage uh, in some of these other bad things. I don't commit abortion. I'm not a homosexual, so I'm okay. My TV habits, it doesn't matter. The way that I utilize my time, it's of no concern. The way that I uh, am a steward of my money or manager thereof and what I use it for, that's no one's concern but my own. You see, holiness is more than just avoiding the taboo. It's not just listing here some really bad sins that I'm not involved in, and so whatever else I'm involved in is thus okay. It's much more than that. But that's a detriment, or that's maybe an obstacle to our holiness. Next, I keep going one too quick. Holiness isn't about being a puritanical killjoy. What do you mean by that? Holiness is not just about a list of do-nots. That's what some people think. Well, do not. All I ever hear when I come to church is do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And I'll admit, if you study Scripture carefully, God has a lot of those. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not uh, kill. Oh, steal and kill and adultery. Yes, all of those are prohibitions, and there are so many more of them. And why are they given? Well, they're given for our happiness. They're given for our joy. They're given for our benefit. God, you might say, God doesn't want me to have any fun. If you were here at the, worship, or at the Bible study hour, you are well aware that we define happiness and joy and the way that God presents and grants it to us is the true source, is a real form, genuine article of happiness, and anything that the world offers as a substitute will be bound to lead you to disappointment. 
and it will lead you to sadness. It will leave you uh, weary, and it will leave you frustrated, and it will leave you with anything but happiness and joy that you were truly seeking. But holiness isn't just about being, as we say, just a list of rules and regulations just to keep us from having fun. When we tell people this is the way that God wants you to live, they say, well, that's not the way everybody else is doing it. Why should I stand out? Why should I be different? That'll make me not be able to have, as we've used the word, fun like everybody else, perhaps. But it's for your benefit. It's remarkable. Amy and I, um, when we teach our middle school class at Allen's, some of the things that we tell those young people even then, don't do that, and then they do it. Don't act that way, and then they act that way. And they say, why? Well, what difference does it make? It makes a big difference. Well, you're just an old fogey. You're just an old prude. That's what you are. Holiness is just the product of some bygone era. Man, this is the new age. I know it's the new age in many respects, and it's different in many ways. The good old days, perhaps for those of you that lived through them, you might say they weren't as good as you thought they were. They're better than these in some regards. In morality, in holiness, in ethic, in a desire to serve God, it seems that they far surpass the days of our own. In the age that we live in, holiness isn't a concern. What does, it, what, do you, what does it matter, my entertainment choices? What does it matter about the way that I dress? You're just an old fogey. You don't understand how life works. I may not, but I serve a God who does. And a God who, because He is my Creator and my Lord, has told me how I ought to conduct myself in holiness for my benefit, for my well-being now and for later. Enough about that. Look at number three. Holiness has been replaced, if you will, by the pursuit of cool. Today, we live in an age, and I know some of you that are older, you've heard uh, your kids or grandkids use that word, and you don't really grasp the concept. I'm not sure that I do either, even though it became popular during my high school years in the 1990s. Man, that's cool. What do you mean? Well, that's neat. And there are so many other synonymous terms, I guess, that could be used. But today, we, we want to look cool. That is, we want to be accepted. We want uh, to look at things that are uh, in society's mind or society's evaluation, something that we ought to be involved in. And holiness is not such a pursuit. Let me give you something that's, that I've observed. And maybe it affects no one here. And maybe you wouldn't even think that this is possible. But I assure you that it is. It's sadly ironic I know people right now, I know Christians, who get involved with what we sometimes call social issues. Maybe it's something that they observe, um, and you've seen maybe advertisements for it, children in Africa that are starving to death. Is that happening? I'm sure that it is. And these individuals will become enamored with the idea of helping uh, those in Africa with clean drinking water or helping those that are malnourished. Are those good things to be involved in? Absolutely. Jesus said, you help those that are the least, you're helping me. And we ought to be concerned with feeding the hungry and uh, clothing the naked. We ought to be able to do that. But I know Christian young people, especially those in high school and even into their early college years, that will get involved in something like that because that's cool. But in their personal lives, they have no desire for holiness whatsoever. They may walk and raise money to maybe have a clean uh, drinking well water uh, dug in Africa, and then go home and uh, shack up with their boyfriend. And they think that's okay. That's acceptable. Because during the day, I was helping acquire, uh, you know, this money to provide that clean drinking water. God ought to feel proud of me for what I did. 
And then they go, as I said, and engage in that ungodly behavior just hours later with no um, compunction, with no desire to change, with no even guilt uh, because I'm involved in this big issue or I'm working to help race relations be better and I'm going to help all uh, races uh, get acceptance, whether black or white or Hispanic or something else. I need to be involved in that. And all the while, I'm not generous and kind and helpful and benevolent even to those that I encounter on a daily basis that cross my path. But I'll do something else. I'll do something that's cool, something that's big, something that's hot button. You see, the pursuit of cool has replaced the pursuit of the holy. Number four, holiness is no longer pursued because it doesn't tolerate tolerance. Now, what does that mean, preacher? Holiness does not tolerate tolerance. You see, why many people aren't concerned with holiness this morning, even many Christian people, is because they're afraid uh, of how they'll be viewed. If you look at God's Word, you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, and you tell me just from reading that verse how tolerant Jesus Christ was. You see, you're presented with an image, at least I am, when I turn on the news or when I hear some of these people talk, they talk about how loving Jesus was. Was Jesus a loving man, the most loving man that's ever walked this planet? And they talk about how gracious and compassionate and merciful the Savior was. Are, there, are those words true? Yes, no true words have ever been spoken. But we are left with the impression, at least according to some people, that Jesus went around and to everybody he was willing to give them a hug, a pat on the back, and no matter what they were doing or what they wanted to do, he said, that's okay, I appreciate you, I love you, keep it up. Whether that's living an ungodly lifestyle, sexually, fornicating, homosexuality, those things are big hot-button issues. Our homosexual friends will say, sure, Jesus was accepting with that. He never said we couldn't love someone of the same sex. Uh, sure, he doesn't care about marriage and divorce and remarriage. He just wants us to be happy. Yes, Jesus wasn't concerned uh, with a whole host of other issues like that. And Jesus certainly, uh, you're telling me that there is an idea that Jesus has but one church? Uh, friend, you don't have it right. Jesus was accepting of everyone. And to suggest that he has but one church, that's just so far-fetched and intolerant. You must not have read the Bible very closely. Maybe it's them who haven't read it very closely because Jesus said, have you found it there? He that is not with me is against me. Now, Jesus, did I, hear, did I hear you right? Did you just say, whoever is not with me is against me? And if you don't gather with me scatters? Yes, that's exactly what I said. I would submit to you that Jesus Christ was perhaps the most intolerant human being that's ever lived. Now, that's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> what do you mean, the most intolerant person who has ever lived? He's the same Jesus who said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way. You don't have to be an English major this morning to understand that the definite article the is singular. When Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he used that term of definitive exclusiveness. He didn't say, I am a way, I am some of the life. There are options available to you in addition to these. There are other alternatives that you might wish to explore. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, when he said that, he didn't really mean that those people who are Buddhist or Hindus or Muslims uh, or, you know, whatever other flavor of religion, uh, he didn't mean that they were 
uh, not, uh, you know, acceptable to God. He was, how can you construe his words that way? What sort of elastic gymnastics do you have to do with the word of God to say, well, that's what Jesus said, but that's not what he meant. Friend, Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said. Holiness does not tolerate tolerance. If you and I are going to be holy, Jesus said, you will have to judge fruit. You'll have to make the tree good and its fruit good, or the tree will be evil and its fruit will be bad. And in our lives, we have to make that determination. Holiness does not tolerate tolerance. We live in an age where tolerance is exclaimed and called for from every vantage point. We need to let a woman do whatever she wishes with her own body. I say, go for it. I don't agree with a lot of what women do with their bodies, but the body within her, that baby is not her body. Its DNA is entirely separate. Its genetic code is unique, and it's unlike that of any other of the 7 billion people on the planet at this hour. Yes, that mother in her body uh, is a vehicle, is a tool uh, that God uses to carry that other life, but that life is life within her. It's not her own. To say she can do with her body what she will does not negate the fact of that precious little one that is often, too often, to the tune of more than 50 million now in the last 27 or 8 years, savagely ripped from her body and murdered in cold blood. You see, tolerate. No, don't tolerate. Well, you might love your wife, but I might love my husband. And it's Adam and Steve as well as Adam and Eve. No, holiness doesn't tolerate tolerance. God has told us, Jesus told us, you're with me, or you're against me. It's not popular, it's not politically correct, but it is scriptural, and it is truth, and it is what God would have us to do and to be. Number next, holiness requires work, but holiness doesn't put God in our debt. You see, some people, when, they, when we start talking about holiness, they're saying, preacher, now wait a minute. I'm hearing what you're saying, but I think I know what you're doing. You're trying to earn your salvation. That's what you're trying to do. Hey, friend, it's not. I can't earn my salvation, not the least whit. I could not work a lifetime so as to enjoy one second in heaven. I can't do it, neither can you. And when the Bible tells me that I, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, must work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, that's what it means. Does it mean I work so as to earn? No, but it means I give my dedicated effort, perseverance, and endurance to doing what God tells me to do to the very best of my ability. That's what it means, and that's what I must strive to do and to be. I'm not going to earn my salvation. But you see, words like that today, verses like that, they're discarded. Ideas like diligence. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, adding to your faith, supply all diligence to add virtue. What's that idea of diligence? The wise man in the book of Proverbs speaks at length about it. Diligence means I spare no effort. I do my very best. I'm afraid many Christians today, we with the concept of grace have so cheapened it, have so stripped it, of its true significance, that we think God's grace is so marvelous that it requires of us no effort at all. I can live any way I want to. Preacher, I'm under God's grace. Well, you need His grace, and so do I. Paul said he needed it, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. It was only in His grace that Paul was able to be what he was, and if Paul needed it, I need it, you need it, everyone needs it. But it is never an excuse to say, well, I'll keep living any way I want. God's grace covers it, no Romans 6 verse 1 says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be. We've died to sin. We ought to live like it. These are some obstacles to holiness. Let me have you think about this, though. 
as we continue to explore uh, holiness this morning. I think we have forgotten that not only have we been saved from something, but that we have also been saved to something. You ask people, and you ask anyone in this assembly uh, before this lesson, what has Jesus done for you? Oh, Jesus saved me from my sins. He died on the cross. He shed his blood so that my sins might be forgiven. Is that a right answer? Yes, that's a right answer. That's the marvelous, glorious message of good news in the gospel. Jesus Christ paid the price that I should have paid on Calvary. He shed his blood when it should have been me nailed to that tree. He died on the cross for my sins. That is absolutely biblical, absolutely truth from beginning to end, start to finish. Is that what Jesus did in entirety? No. Did he do more than that? Yes. Not only has he saved me from sin, from hell, I don't have to worry about eternal damnation anymore. Friend, remember what Jesus has saved you to. I don't think we preach enough about this. So let me give you a few verses to ponder in that regard. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, within a context of holiness, especially as it relates to sexual purity, something that is desperately needed by the young and old alike in our sin-saturated world in that area, especially today. The Thessalonian Christians were admonished. Paul said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, verse 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality. When he got down to verse 7, then he said, because God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called us in holiness. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that has ramifications for it. That means that we, uh, so let me go back a slide. There we go. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. That God has saved us, that's past. That's what He has done. But He has called us, that's present, to a holy calling. Not because of any works we've done, not because of how good I am. God didn't look down and say, boy, that Judd boy, he just, he's a fine feller. I think I need to save him because of how good he is. He didn't do that. But He saved us because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He gave us a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, there is a Greek word used. The Bible said we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's how your Bible reads. But that word workmanship is beautiful. In the ancient language, it means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we do those good works as we pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, No wonder then, Paul said, Since we have these promises, and the promises there were that God would be our people, that we would be separate from the world, that we would not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And a whole lesson could be built around that concept. He said, Since we have these promises, these assurances from God, here's what we ought to do. Beloved, cleanse yourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What a great challenge. That's a challenge for me every day. That should be a challenge for you every day. And I admit sometimes it's more difficult than it is at others, but cleanse yourself. When is the last time you gave serious attention to doing that? When is the last time that you looked at the end of the day and looked back over that day and said, Lord, what is it that I've done that was not pure, that is not wholesome, that is not as you would have it to be? What is it that I have done, as Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3 and continuing through that chapter, uh, that would be filthy or impure, things that would make me guilty or deserving of the wrath of God? When is the last time we applied that to everything we do? It's not just for Sunday morning. Preacher, I'm pure. I'm here this morning. 
It's not just uh, for a select period of time and then we discard it. Preacher, I'm a Christian. I come to church on Sunday and I live like everybody else Monday through Saturday. That's not holiness. That's not Christianity, not in the sense that God designed it so to be. God wants us to be holy. And that desire for holiness is often a hole that's missing that's there for many of us. This was read a few moments ago for us in a very good way, but look at verse 14 again. We need to pursue peace with everyone. And then look at that last phrase. If you want something that will keep you up at night, roll this over in your mind. Holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. How important is this topic? It's that important. No one will see the Lord without it, without holiness. And then finally, 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Peter tells us that one day the Lord will return. In great heat, the elements of the earth will be dissolved into nothing. I don't understand that. Science was never a strong point of mine. But the very God who spoke the world into existence one day will speak the word again, and every atom and every molecule will be destroyed. It's something amazing to consider, to contemplate. In light of that, Peter says simply by way of just obvious uh, reasoning, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, if that's really what's going to happen, and God said it would, and God said just as in the days of Noah he destroyed the world, most people didn't believe him, but he was right. That same word that reserved the world and then destroyed it by water, that same word is reserving the world to be destroyed by fire. Since these things are true, friend, the world's going to end. The question then is, what sort of persons what sort of people ought we to be? What sort of people ought we to be? We ought to be people who live lives of holiness and godliness. That's the kind of people we ought to be. We ought to give serious attention to that. It's a very serious matter indeed. There is a hymn, and I believe it's in this book. I didn't take time to find the number. You may have sung it before. You may not. But I thought these words capture well what I'm trying to emphasize to you this morning, what I'm trying to strive after. And please do not leave with a mistaken impression. That preacher said he was perfect and I have to be perfect just like he is. That's not what this preacher said. This preacher is saying God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. And he is trying his best to imitate him. He is trying his best each day to humbly walk with him, to remove every defilement, of the world and the sin that stains his soul as he conforms, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, more to the image of God's dear Son. That's what this preacher said. And this preacher said that if I do that and if we do that, then we'll be that light that's set on the hill and people will look at us and say, you don't blend in with everybody else, you're different. You don't watch all that crap on TV and junk that just fills and pollutes our minds. You don't say all of those dirty jokes that everyone else around the water cooler tells. You don't do that. You don't act in a way that is ungodly so as to suggest you don't have any use for religion except every once in a while on Sunday morning or when you show up at the funeral home. You're really trying to live for the Lord Jesus and you're trying to be the kind of people that the New Testament says you ought to be. That's what he told me to do. Because I'm simply trying to say thank you and I love you to the one who gave it all for me to begin with. And so thus the words of the hymn. More, let me go back to more purity. Let me, let's see, I'm going too far. There we go. More holiness, give me. That's what I'm asking you to make your prayer to God, your plea to him. 
More holiness, give me more strivings within. More patience and suffering, more sorrow for sin. More faith in my Savior, more sense of His care. More joy in His service, more purpose in prayer. More gratitude, give me. More trust in the Lord. More pride in His glory. More hope in His word. More tears for His sorrows, more pain in His grief. More meekness in trial, more praise for relief. More purity, give me. More strength to overcome. More freedom from earth stains. More longing for home. More fit for the kingdom. More used would I be. More blessed and holy. More Savior like thee. We sung earlier, oh, to be like thee. That's what we're trying to be. Like Christ our Savior, the one who died for us, the one who loves us. Friends, there's a hole in our holiness when that desire is not there to be that. When you and I take our Christianity and we put it on on Sunday morning with our other Sunday best and we wear it and we present it to one and all and then Sunday afternoon we discard it until the next week or maybe we put it on again Sunday evening and again on Wednesday evening but the rest of the time there's little desire for holiness. It's not as it ought to be. It's not what God desires us to be. Instead each day to be nearer to him, to be more faithful to him to be more obedient to him. Yes, we still need his grace. We still need his mercy. But holiness must be a pursuit that we pursue every day. This morning, if you're not a child of God, that's what God expects of you. You might say, preacher, that sounds awfully demanding. It is. That sounds like it will be a struggle to be different than the world, to separate myself from some of the bad habits I've acquired and some of the companions uh, that are currently my friends and associates. It may very well indeed involve that. But the reward is worth it. The home in heaven that God will provide will surely make any sacrifice in this life worth it, far and above and beyond what we can ever imagine. If you're not a child of God, the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from your sins, but you have to obey his word to grant yourself or to be granted that holiness that our God provides through his son Jesus. Turn away from sin. Turn away is the words repent. Come out of the world, come to God. And as you confess your faith in Him or are buried with Him in baptism, that immersion in water is a symbolizing act of a spiritual transaction where you are taken from lost to saved, out of darkness into light, from a sinner to a saint, a member of the family of God. If that's your need this morning, we'll gladly assist you in doing that. Maybe you've done that as a child of God. But maybe as you understand holiness a little better, you must admit, I've not lived a holy life like I know I need to. I've went back into the world. I've tried to blend in. I've tried to camouflage myself. That's not the way the Lord wants it to be. Maybe there is something in your life that even privately you know hinders your holiness. Take care of that between you and God. If there's something more public that requires the prayers of your brothers and sisters and their forgiveness as well as that of God's, we'll pray with you to that end. Holiness, it's not for cows and it's not for anything else. It's for our holy God. It's for his holy word. And it's for us who seek to live holy lives in obedience to him. If you need to do that this morning, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing together. <laughs>